If you've got your Bibles this morning, I want to invite you to go to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians. Now, 2 Corinthians, uh, like much of the New Testament, uh, was written by the Apostle Paul. Paul was a follower of Jesus Christ, an early follower of Jesus. And 2 Corinthians was written about 20 to 25 years uh, after Jesus' uh, death and resurrection. And so that's when this book uh, was, was written. And like a lot of the other books in the New Testament, it's, it's written in very kind of practical terms. The church center was in Jerusalem. And then there were all these church plants around the Mediterranean Rim around what we know today is Greece and Turkey and Northern Africa and um, the, the church continued to go east uh, into India and all sorts of different places. But there's all these church plants and things are really new in the life of the church. And because there's all these church plants and, and kind of all this stuff going on and the church is growing and exploding and, and more people are going to these churches and, and all sorts of different places. And this letter was written to the church in Corinth uh, which is a city and, and, and a church community. But the interesting thing, and one of the reasons why I love the New Testament, is because Paul is addressing all the problems in the life of the early church. It's highly practical stuff. So, I mean, it's, it's questions like, okay, should we worship at uh, Park Regency or at Union Park? Should we um, uh, have our governance uh, with deacons and elders, or should we have a church council? Should we worship um, with traditional music or contemporary music? And, and I tell you what, there's just battles going on all over the place. So if you think worship wars and church disputes are something new to the church, that's what the New Testament is. It's this wrestling and struggling of what does it mean to be followers of Jesus Christ? What does it mean to be God's people, God's church? We're sinful, we're broken, and yet we need to share this good news with the world. And so Paul sits down and he writes many, many letters to these different churches. Sometimes he's encouraging them. He's exhorting them. He's saying, hey, way to go. Good job. Other times uh, Paul is delivering... And he says to the churches, knock it off. And sometimes he gets really pointed with individuals. And, and sometimes he even says, you know what? You got to just get rid of that person. You got to just kick them out of the church. They're causing problems. I mean, this is how raw it gets throughout the New Testament. And this letter that we're going to look at this morning from 2 Corinthians is one of the letters uh, to the church uh, in, in, uh, in, in Corinth. And the issue that we're going to look at today that Paul is writing to uh, the, the church in Corinth is this idea of what does it mean to be generous? What does it mean to be generous? Now, when I say the word generous, you probably think immediately uh, about money and giving of your time. Those are kind of the two areas when we think about generosity. And, and I, I'll just be honest, talking about money in church can be a little bit awkward, right? 
Somebody locked the doors back there, right? Because some of you might feel like you want to run out of here, right? Because sometimes some of you maybe had a bad experience of talking about money in the church, or, or maybe you feel guilty about some, you know, what, what you're giving or you're not giving to the life of the church. And so I get it. I just want to acknowledge there's something a little bit awkward about talking about money. And we here at Faith Lutheran Church, if you've been coming here, we don't talk about money very often, maybe just a couple times a year. I don't think I've talked about money uh, in a sermon for... Uh, probably close to a year, frankly. And so we're going to talk a little bit about money today. And then in two weeks, we're going to talk about what it, does it mean to be generous with our time. Okay. And I thought, you know, kind of a way for us to just kind of break the awkwardness a little bit is to, to acknowledge that there's a lot of awkward things we could talk about in church on a Sunday morning, like intimate relations, right? Anybody want to talk about intimate relations today in church? <laughs> All right, so everybody's good with money, right? You're all feeling much, much better. Oh, we're just talking about money today. Phew, we're not going to intimate relations. Brady, you want to talk about intimate relations? No, okay. I didn't think so. We're not going to talk about intimate relations in church today. We're going to talk about money. It's so much easier. But yeah, I thought we need to just kind of lighten up a little bit as we think a little bit about what it means to be generous. So when I say the word generosity, I want everybody to put your hands out, just like this, okay? All right, does this feel generous? No, this doesn't feel very generous, is it, right? Um, no, this, this, this feels kind of stingy. This kind of feels like, oh, I'm holding it to myself, right? Um, but now, now put your hands just like up there on the screen like this. How's that feel? Does that feel generous? Yeah, that feels pretty good, right? And so what my goal is this morning is to help all of us take a, one step maybe, just one step from this to this. So maybe in your, as you think about and evaluate your own generosity, maybe think, okay, I'm not this, I'm not that stingy, I'm not that tight, although your spouse might uh, disagree with you, right? But maybe you're this, or maybe you're this, or maybe you're this, and, and I think all of us have an opportunity this morning to take just one step in our generosity. I, my hope is that there's something in this for all of us this morning so that we can truly be people who God has called us to be. And so Paul writes this letter to the church in Corinth. And he says, now that you have been saved by grace, you've been rescued by the blood of Jesus Christ. Now, how do you live your life? How do you live a generous life? And the reason why I bring that up with you this morning is because what you need to hear is generosity has nothing to do with your salvation, okay? If you have surrendered your life and placed your life in the hands of Jesus Christ, your salvation is secure. We're just going to set salvation on the shelf this morning. We're not talking about salvation because people I have found easily go to this place of works salvation and they think to themselves, the more I give, the more generous I am, the more God's going to love me. And folks, that, that's just not true. There's nothing biblical about that. We're not talking about how much God loves you. We're not talking about your salvation. All those things are secure. He loves you. And your salvation, if you are in Christ, is secure. So now how do we live as generous people in this world? And how do we take a step of faith? How do we move from here to here? I'm going to invite us to pray. 
Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who loves us unconditionally, that you sent your son, Jesus Christ, to come among us, to rescue us. And God, you have invited us and all people to surrender our lives uh, and receive the free, the 100% free gift of salvation. And it just costs us uh, surrendering our lives. And so God, um, as, as we look at this text this morning, we thank you for that assurance that we have in our salvation through you. We thank you for uh, the ways in which, God, you love us unconditionally. But yet, God, like the early church, we've got to wrestle with the now what? Now, how do we live our lives and be generous and share our lives like you shared your life with the world? God, may the words of my mouth, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight. For you are indeed our rock and our redeemer. Amen. Amen. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 6. Remember this, Paul writes. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each of you should give what you have decided to give in your heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And God is able to bless you abundantly so that in all things and at all times, having all that you need, you will abound in every good work. As it is written, they have freely scattered their gifts to the poor. Their righteousness endures forever. Now he who supplies the seed to the sower and bread for food will also supply and increase your store of seed and will enlarge the harvest of your righteousness. You will be enriched in every way so that you can be generous on every occasion. And through us, your generosity will result in thanksgiving to God. Verse 7, each of you should be, give what you have decided in your heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Now, when I talked about generosity this morning, when I first mentioned that, if you're thinking, oh, man, I'm going to get clobbered today. That's not the point of the message. If you, if you are feeling uncomfortable about giving away and living your life open and generously, that's not the point. Paul says God loves a cheerful giving. Giving should make us feel good. It should bring warm fuzzies to us. It, it should make us feel hopeful and encouraged. And what I have found is the people who are the most joyful in the life of the church are also those who give very generously. There's just something about it. There's, some, there's joy in the midst of giving uh, generously, both our time and our resources. And so I want you to hear this morning. This is a message of joy. This is a message of encouragement. This is a message of good news. This is not a message of, oh, I have to. This is a message of, I get to. God wants us to give with joyful hearts, open hearts and lives and minds. Wow, this is such a privilege that I get to be about sharing uh, with, with other people. Now, sometimes uh, people will ask me uh, in, in the life of the church uh, about uh, how to do particular things. And I once had a preacher mentor of mine. He said, Brian, don't just preach what is true. Preach what is helpful. 
And so this morning, my goal is to be helpful as you're thinking about your own generosity. So this uh, uh, card that I handed out or was handed out a little bit ago, on the back of it is uh, some very practical steps so that you might kind of figure out where you're at on your journey, because we're, we're all in a different place, right? We're all in a different place as it relates to our generosity, And so this morning, I want to be um, just kind of unpack this a little bit with you and help you to think about ways that you uh, might grow in your generosity. So uh, I've got five different steps. And uh, the first step is is someone who just does not give. They're they're the the, the clenched fist person here, right? And uh, I'll bet you most of us or nearly all of us in here are not just that really clenched fist. You know, you can walk by, if you can walk by the Salvation Army kettle at Christmas time, you might be a zero. I don't know. But you know what I'm saying. It's just somebody who's like, ah, I just cannot. But maybe, maybe, I don't know. But the the first step, if if that's you, thing, uh, fists completely clenched, I want to encourage you that your next step might be giving spontaneously. The first step of growing in your generosity is to just give spontaneously. And what do I mean by spontaneously? What I mean is walking um, to the uh, Salvation Army cattle at Christmas time and putting something in. It's listening to the Holy Spirit, a nudge, hey, Somebody needs help. It's maybe bringing diapers for the baby fold, right? It's just one of these kind of spur of the moment. You're thinking to yourself, oh, should I help? Should I not help? There's somebody standing out at the road with a sign. Should I buy them a sandwich or not? And it's, it's just really listening to the promptings of the Holy Spirit and then acting and being obedient. There's really not much more to it than that, but it's, it's all the ways in which God is calling us just to spontaneously give and help uh, other people who have less than we do. And there's lots and lots of examples of this uh, in, in, in the world uh, and, and probably in your life. So that's giving spontaneously. Uh, step number two is giving consistently. Giving consistently, this is why we pass the offering baskets every single week in worship. Aristotle said you become with the habits of what you're all about, right? Loosely translated. So if we are regularly giving, we're becoming more and more generous in our lives. And so that's why we pass the offering plates every week. It's an opportunity for you to give more than just spontaneously, but to give regularly and consistently. And so this is just a wonderful way that we do this. Just like we, every week we sing a couple songs, every week we offer our confession, every week uh, we read God's word together, every week we receive communion, and every week we gather an offering. And it's it's, it's a way for you to express your generosity. So just by showing up to church on Sunday and, and putting something in the offering plate is an opportunity for you to grow in your generosity. Now, something else uh, that I think is helpful as we think about giving consistently, what I have found uh, is, is got to do it regularly over and over and over, right? We need to practice this. And I think about you baseball players, right? How do you become a better baseball player? 
You practice, right? You do it over and over and over. How do you become a better business person? You practice, right? You read books, you talk to other people, you wake up and and you put your best foot forward day in and day out. How do you become a better parent? You just keep showing up, right? You just keep trying, you just keep at it day in and day out. And if you wanna become more generous, if you build in consistency into your daily, weekly rhythms of just giving, that's gonna help you to grow and to become a more generous person. Now, one of the other things uh, we do here at Faith to help you grow in your generosity is we invite you to fill out a pledge card. And a pledge card basically just says, hey, I'm going to uh, make a goal of giving this much money next year. And it's just a way of just putting a goal out there and then then living into that goal. Now, if if, if you've ever talked to a life coach, a life coach will tell you that people who do not set goals do not achieve their goals, right? Kind of a duh, right? But that's, that's really what happens. People who set specific goals are twice as likely to achieve their goals. And people who write down their goals are 10 times more likely to achieve their goals. So for example, if I have a goal of losing uh, 10 pounds next year, and I'm like, hey, I'm just gonna lose 10 pounds next year, just by speaking that out loud, saying that to my wife and maybe to you all, I'm twice as likely to achieve that goal. But if I just had this goal of losing 10 pounds next year, and I don't share with anyone, and it just kind of sits in my head, I am much less likely to achieve that goal. Then if I talk to you or, or, or write it down, 10 times more likely. And I gotta build it in. And I have to be strategic about what this is gonna look like. So by February, I don't expect to have lost all 10 pounds, right? I just wanna, maybe I'm gonna, I'm gonna set down a plan and say, by February, I'm gonna lose one pound. By March, two pounds. And, and, and every week I'm gonna stand on the scale. I mean, you guys know this, right? This is how it works. This is how it works in life. You guys, you understand this. It's the same way in our giving and in our generosity. When we set a goal, this is what I'm going to do for the big picture, and now I'm going to back up and live into that goal. And every week or every month or whatever the rhythm is, whenever you get paid, you just, boom, you just go right into practicing that generosity in your life. How my wife and I do it uh, is we give online uh, here at Faith, and uh, I get paid twice a month. Uh, Carolyn sends me a check twice a month, and uh, whenever I get that uh, check, uh, it hits the bank. Um, I just sit down and I go right to the Breeze app. Uh, you can find it right on the, the Faith website. It's the first payment we make every single uh, time that I get paid. Twice a month, I just sit down, and I've, I've done my offering. We've done our offering as a family um, in about 30 seconds, uh, and I usually do it from bed when I wake up in the morning because I get a little reminder in my phone that, hey, you got paid. Now it's time to uh, provide your tithe, uh, giving back to the church. It's so easy. And so we've got tools like that because we want you to be regular in your giving because when you give consistently, it helps you to be Uh, more generous. Number three. Uh, The the third step is is giving proportionally. Proportional giving, or sometimes this is known as percentage giving. Very simple. 
I know you guys are smart people, but I'm just going to run through this anyways. If your income, if you have an annual income of $100,000, and you say, I'm going to give 3%, just give away 3%, what would be the math on that? How much am I giving away? $10,000, right? No. 3000 I'm not a math guy. It's $3,000. Did you know the average American gives 2.5% of their income away? So if you just gave 3% of your income, you're above average. You guys all want to be above average? Raise your hand. That's all you got to do. Set the three. And then every year you can just increase it. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. Step number four. I got ahead of myself tithing. And I wrote this one as giving gratefully. And the reason why this is the header for uh, step four of giving gratefully is, is this is the biblical concept of giving. Throughout the Old Testament, throughout the New Testament, and the idea is simply this, is that God owns it all. God's got everything. God says, you know what? I've got a thousand cattle on the hills. God doesn't need our money. He doesn't need your money. If, if, if God needs something, he just goes and does it himself. He doesn't do this for us. So we don't give to God because he needs our stuff. He says, but what I want you to do is to, for every 10 things that I give you, give me back one. It's this idea of a tenth, this idea of a tithe. This is a church thing. You won't see the idea of a tithe anywhere else in society. It doesn't exist. It's what we as Jesus followers practice because we have grateful hearts. It's an acknowledgement that God owns it all. And so if you start out with 3% and, and that's your next step, if you're not you know, percentage giving, you could just every year increase it to 4 to 5 and, and, and it's a beautiful thing. And you're going to feel it every year. I guarantee you're going to feel it every year because it's, it's going to pinch a little bit to give away more and more of your money. One of the things I love about a proportional or percentage giving is that the more money you make, more income that you have, it allows you to bless others in a greater and more powerful way. And so when you get to 10%, I, I think that's our way as Jesus followers of saying, God, I'm grateful. I'm grateful for what you've given me. And so I'm going to give you the first 10% back to you because I'm going to acknowledge that everything belongs to you. And that might be your, your next step. I don't know where you're at on your journey. By the way, I think you guys know this, but I don't know what anybody gives in the life of the church. I don't know what any of you give, and I don't want to know what you give because that's between you and God. Now, Carolyn knows and John knows, right? But, but they got to take care of the books, right? And so somebody's got to know. If you ever have questions, you can see John or Carolyn uh, to help you with all that. But, but if you've got money questions about, um, you know, your particular giving to the life of the church, don't come talk to me. I, I'll talk to you about the steps, the five steps. But, but I really don't want to talk to you about your uh, individual giving because that's between you and the Lord. So I want to just encourage you uh, to continue to take your next step. And, and the step number five is, is to give uh, abundantly. Give abundantly. And that's more than a tithe. And some of you are like, whoa, 
How do people do that? They just have generous hearts, right? People who give beyond a tithe, 11%, 12%, I don't know, 14%, 15%, 20%. What happens is the more that you become generous, the more you become open-handed, the more joy that God fills your heart. And you see all these opportunities to share uh, your resources with others. And it just blesses you. For many years, our family, uh, we tithed, uh, we gave 10% to our church, and then in addition to that, we also sponsored a couple compassion children, which is like, I don't know, $38 a month, is that what it is? Yeah, our kids have now uh, aged out of it, but for many years we did that, and so it was on top of our what we gave to the church, we were able to give another, I guess, about eight, $75, $80-ish you know, to uh, these compassion children. It was such a wonderful blessing for our family to just be able to give above and beyond uh, the tithe. And I'll be honest with you, you know, you feel it. You feel the pinch of of giving away that generosity. But boy, when we got letters from those kids um, uh, from those different countries, it it just absolutely blessed us. It was such a wonderful thing. So those are the five steps, and I, I think all of us could find ourselves in one of these five. I hope you can all find yourself in one. Hopefully you're not the zero, that you're so tight, uh, tight-fisted, but hopefully you can find yourself on there. And I just want to challenge you. I want to challenge you to take your next step uh, of faith. And, and I just want to close this morning by sharing with you a, a little bit of a story that I think uh, my hope is that will help us to understand why This is so important for us to be uh, generous people and and sometimes how this works. If you've ever come to my house uh, or ever seen my office, you will see that I've got lots and lots of books on my shelf. I love to read and uh, uh, when I was a kid, um, my mom would regularly take my brother and I to the public library and we'd read books from the library and then then when we got older, we'd go to the bookstores and we'd buy all sorts of books. And uh, I just developed a real love for reading and reading books. And I remember going to college and, you know, I was like, had sticker shock with what the textbooks cost. But I would buy books on top of the textbooks because I just love to read. I'm just kind of one of those people that just like always want to learn and grow. And so I kind of collect books and I have trouble giving away books. And so I've got a bit of a a book collection addiction, we'll just call it maybe. And my book list to read is, is pretty high as well. I mean, they're literally uh, piled up. But many years ago, it was actually July 5th, uh, 1994, a guy by the name of Jeff Bezos uh, started this uh, startup company called Amazon. And of course, that's a funny name. And when everybody thought about Amazon back in the day, they're like, oh, that's, isn't that a rainforest somewhere in South America, right? And and one of the things I loved about Amazon is I no longer had to go to the bookstore, is that I could just sit down at a computer and start looking at all the different books that I could, and they would just show up at my door after about a week or so, right? This is the day before Prime. And I loved Amazon, it was awesome! Because the books just could show up at my doorstep and I didn't have to go off to the bookstores anymore. Well, a couple years later in 1997, Amazon.com went uh, public, uh, and they're offering an IPO rate. And um, we had a toddler, Michaela, and Cindy was pregnant with Logan at the time, and, and I loved Amazon. I was a huge fan of Amazon, and I'm thinking to myself, should I invest in Amazon? Oh, we don't have a lot of extra money. Things are tight. We're busy. I had just gotten a new job. 
and you know, we got little kids running around. I'm just like, oh, and I was kind of torn. You ever been torn over, should I invest or should I not invest? Yeah, I mean, I was on the line. I'm like, oh, I don't have a lot of money, but I, I sure wouldn't mind investing a little bit of money in Amazon.com. But I'm just like, ah, I can't pull the trigger. I can't do it. I can't do it. And so um, let me just pause in the story right there for a moment. <laughs> Economists will tell us that there are two kinds of costs, actual costs and opportunity costs, right? An actual cost is something that you look at your credit card, your bank statement, and you go, this is how much money I spent. An actual cost is a liability. You look at it, and it's very straightforward, and you go, boom, that's what I spent. An opportunity cost is a hidden cost, and it's something that we do not spend uh, money in, but there's, a, there's a, a consequence to it, right? an opportunity cost. And we oftentimes uh, don't spend the money like an actual cost because of indecision. We're just like, oh, we're on the fence. And we're just like, I mean, well, this is crazy. What, is this bookstore really going to make it? I mean, come on. Back to the story. I spent zero dollars on the uh, IPO for Amazon.com. So I didn't lose any money. I lost zero money actual cost as it relates to Amazon.com. $18 was the IPO rate back in 1997. If I had spent, you're all going to feel lousy, I can see this already. <laughs> if I had just spent, invested $100, $100 in Amazon.com in 1997, I would be sitting on $2.5 million today. What's the point? <laughs> The point is there was an opportunity and I didn't have the faith to live into it. And I think as Jesus followers, there are all sorts of opportunities for us to give and to serve others. And in the moment, we don't always see the opportunity, the ways in which our money, our resources can help others. Sometimes it takes 22 years to recognize that God is going to do something extraordinary. And so as you're thinking about your generosity, I want you to think about the opportunity cost, the ways in which God is inviting you and me to have faith. He can do something with our resources. He can do extraordinary things. And in the moment, we may not always see the results, but by faith, we trust that God is going to do something extraordinary. We might just be someone else's miracle through the little bit that we give away in our lives. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you uh, that you are a God who comes to us, that you have rescued us, that you have saved us, and that you have assured us that there is nothing in the whole world we can do to make you love us any less or take away our salvation. But God, as we continue to wrestle with this idea of, okay, now how do we live our lives? How do we give our lives away and live generously like you gave your life away? God, we thank you for these steps of faith. Lord, we, we, we can't do it all in one day. But I believe each one of us in this place today can take another step of faith that each one of us might live more open-handedly and more generously. Lord, in your mercy, you are